Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles to Matthew 25 this morning. I, I'd love to hear the kids sing. You know, that's, uh, that's the next generation, and that's, you know, the, the more we can get excited, get, get them excited about that kind of stuff, the less they're going to be excited about the things of the world. And, um, you know, I, I tell the teenagers this all the time when they get ready to sing. You know, I'd, I'd much rather have somebody that sings out, that sings a little bit off key, than, than sings beautifully and, and looks like they're miserable the whole time they're doing it, right? Uh, boy, there's, we have a CD of a, of a teen group from down in Kentucky. And, um, I mean, I think they just did it on a Sunday night. Uh, it wasn't a professional CD that they put out or anything like that. And there's a lot of times in that CD where they're off. But I love it because you can just, you can tell they're just singing with their heart. And, uh, you know, I don't, I, the Bible doesn't say make a beautiful noise. It says make a joyful noise, right? And uh, it doesn't say make a, make a joyful sound. It says make a joyful noise, right? Which means it, it can sound like anything as long as you're singing with your heart and as long as you're doing it for the Lord. And, and uh, boy, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's a blessing to my heart to hear the kids sing. And, uh, boy, I sure hope we add a whole lot more to that. Matthew chapter 25, I'm not going to take the time to read the whole passage this morning, uh, but this is a parable that Jesus is giving about the talents. And uh, last, couple, last couple weeks, I know have been a little bit more difficult messages, uh, things that, that, that honestly, even as I'm preaching, are convicting to me. And uh, I know it's a lot of things to work on. We talked about the family, we talked about uh, being a vessel that God can use. And so this morning, I, I hope this message will be uh, maybe a little less convicting and a little bit more encouraging, but I, I believe there's some conviction that can come from it as well. But Matthew chapter 25, the second uh, parable that Jesus was giving, of course the first parable was the parable of the ten virgins uh, and how they needed to be prepared and ready when the bridegroom comes. And that's just a great reminder for us to be ready when Jesus Christ comes back for his bride, the church, right? Uh, if you're not prepared, you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, then you're not prepared for Jesus Christ to come back. Uh, but the second, the second parable that Jesus gives is, is to, the, uh, to his servants, those who, were, who already belonged to him. He had given them talents, and he wanted them to use those talents for him. And in the middle of all that, verse number 21, he says this, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, there's more and more of an effort today to make everyone equal. In a lot of different ways, but, you know, no winners, no losers in any area of the sports. Everybody gets a participation trophy. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in favor of that because I think it's, it's not practical. It's not the real life, right? Uh, everybody gets a, everybody's a winner until it actually comes down to where it really matters. And then what? I lost and, I, and I'm not going to get that job. I'm not going to get that promotion, whatever else. In, in life, there are winners and losers. You know, somebody gets the job and somebody doesn't. Somebody gets the promotion, somebody doesn't. Somebody wins the bid on the house and somebody doesn't. There's, there's always winners and losers and everything. And the list could go on and on with all of those things. But, you know, both, both basketball teams cannot win the championship. Somebody wins and somebody loses. And there's, there's things to be, to be learned in winning, and there's also a lot of things that can be learned in losing, right? Uh, you, you don't have two Olympic champions on the top of the podium. Somebody wins and somebody loses, right? Somebody's crying because their national anthem is being played, and somebody's crying because they lost, right? Uh, there's winners and losers in everything that we do. Uh, I think we're doing a disservice to our kids when we tell them that everyone's a winner. But, but that's exactly what I'm going to tell you this morning. You can be first this morning. You can be a winner, and everyone can win. There's some things that I want to share with you this morning that makes you a winner. The title of the message this morning is simply this, Everyone's a Winner. Everyone's a Winner. 
Let's look at some things at which you can be first this morning. But let's pray, and we'll look at a few of those things. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the opportunity to share your word this morning. I pray that it would be a help and an encouragement to us, uh, and I pray that you would uh, use it in our hearts in a way that's pleasing to you. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 17. We'll get there in just a second, but you can be, number one, you can be first to smile. You can be first to smile. There's, there's a lot of negativity in our world today, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, that a lot of people don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and because of that, they're miserable. Once you, and, and, and those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior know this to be true, once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, life changes. Your outlook on life changes. Where, there, where before there was misery and disappointment and discouragement, now there's joy and hope and peace, right? And that only comes in knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so I think there's a lot of negativity in our world because people don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and it, and it just makes them miserable. And, of course, misery loves company, and so they're happy when other people are as miserable as they are. And so the, the, but the other side of that coin is that the world's become so twisted and distorted that, that people are afraid to be around each other in, in some ways. You know, As soon as I smile at that person, he's going to think I'm weird or he's going to think I'm up to something. You know, he's going to make me a target. He's going to see that as weakness and try to sell me something. Right? You go into these places where they have people standing at a kiosk, and what do you, what do you got to, you can't look at them and smile, otherwise they think, hey, he's looking at me and smiling because he wants me to sell him something, right? Uh, you just have to avoid the eye contact, and, and uh, you know, uh, you know how it is when you see somebody smiling at you, the first thing that you think is not usually, that's a pleasant person, the first thing you think is, what's he smiling at, right? Do I have something on my face? Or does he know something that I don't know, right? And, and honestly, our world has made it that way. You can't even smile at somebody today without somebody thinking there's something else going on or some kind of ulterior motive. But that shouldn't keep us from having the joy of the Lord, especially, especially at church. A lot of people come into church after they've had a rough week, right? And they come in, and they, they just want something from the Lord. And it's nice to see other people excited about getting something from the Lord. It's nice to see other people with a smile on their face. They come in needing some encouragement. They come to church looking for refreshment, and there's nothing like seeing the smile on the face of somebody that has the joy of the Lord. That's one of the things that I love about this church. I think we are a very friendly, very happy church, and I hope it always stays that way. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 22, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, right? Um, the, uh, the Reader's Digest. Uh, anybody remember the Reader's Digest? I think they still have it out. I just don't, you know, used to be that we used to get one every single week and, or every single month. And uh, it would sit there, and I mean, as soon as it came in the mail, uh, you know, whoever got the mail would be the first one to get a chance to open it up and turn to what? Laughter the best medicine, right? That was, the, that was what you read in the Reader's Digest first. At least that's what I did. And then I read the other joke sections, and then I started going back and looking at the stories. But laughter the best medicine, because it is helpful for you, right? It's nice to have a smile on your face, and that's not just something that somebody came up with. That's from the Bible. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, right? We don't have to walk around with a sour look on our face because we're Christians. In fact, the opposite should be true. We, we ought to be happy because we're Christians. We have all of this and then heaven besides. It's an exciting thing. It should make us uh, rejoice. We have something to rejoice about. Turn back a couple pages to Proverbs chapter 15. And verse number 13, Proverbs 15 and verse 13 says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, 
If you have the joy of the Lord in your heart, then it should show on your face, right? It should be, it should be something that just spills over because you're excited about being a Christian. You're excited about being able to live for the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 10 says, For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. A lot of Christians who say they have the joy of the Lord have forgotten to tell their face, right? They walk around so discouraged. They walk around so sour all the time. Boy, if you have the joy of the Lord in your heart, tell your face every once in a while and smile a little bit, right? Especially when it comes to church. Let's be cheerful. Let's be friendly. Let's wear a smile. We can have fun at church, right? We can have fun worshiping the Lord. As Christians, there are a lot of things that the world does that we don't participate in that, because they're, they, they go against what the Word of God says. And, you know, people like to say, oh, you Christians can't do anything. No, it's not that I can't do those things. It's that I don't have to do those things. I'm not bound to do the things that the world does. I'm not addicted to the things that the world is addicted to. I don't have to do those things. I can. I don't have to. But since there are so many things that, that really are, uh, that go against the word of God that the world uh, says is fun, then, boy, one of the places that we can go that we can have a good time is church. And we ought to, Right? There ought, to be, there ought to be order to it. The Bible says, let everything be done decently and in order. But we can have fun, and we should have fun. It's exciting to be able to worship the Lord. There should be that reverence that belongs to God, but we don't have to, to, be, a, you know, to, to be a sour face to worship God. He's given us every reason to be happy, so let's do it. You can be the first to smile, but also, number two, you can be the first to forgive. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. I wanted to preach on this this morning. I was going to use Ephesians chapter 4 as my text verse, and I, I, and I will probably preach a message on that here in the future. Uh, God changed my mind a little bit as I was putting some things together. But you can be the first to forgive. One of the reasons the world is in the condition that it's in, and, and for that matter, one of the reasons churches are in the condition that they are in, is a lack of forgiveness, right? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 says, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Jesus didn't say, forgive those who forgive you. Forgive those who deserve it. He didn't say to forgive those who even ask for forgiveness. He didn't say to wait until that person comes to you and admits that they were wrong and ask you for forgiveness, and then you can forgive them. He said to forgive. He even took it a step farther. Turn over to Matthew chapter 18. Perhaps you'll remember this story. Matthew chapter 18 Peter came to Jesus and was asking him some different questions, and this was one of them. Verse number 21, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. What Peter was asking is, okay, so if somebody comes and does something against me, should I forgive him? And how many times should I forgive him? Because eventually it's going to get to the point where I don't need to forgive him anymore, right? If he keeps sinning against me, what is the number? Seven? Should I forgive him seven times? And Jesus said... Verse 22, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. 70 times seven. That's 490 times. The chances that somebody's going to do something against you 490 times are pretty slim. Basically what Jesus is saying, just forgive them and keep forgiving them, right? You don't necessarily have to forget it. You don't have to go get taken advantage of every single time. But if they do something against you and you know that it's something against you, forgive them. He, didn't, he doesn't say wait till they come and ask for it. He says to just forgive. Jesus forgave us when we didn't deserve that forgiveness, right? Isn't that why Jesus died on the cross? I didn't deserve it. I, Jesus, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? What is one of the sayings 
of, of, you know, the seven sayings of Jesus when he was on the cross. And what was one of them? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They weren't kneeling at the cross begging Jesus to forgive him when he said that, right? He forgave them, knowing that they were the ones that were putting him on the cross, knowing that he was on the cross dying for our sins, knowing that I was going to come along and be a sinner and sin against Jesus Christ, sin against his death on the cross. He knew that that was going to happen, and yet he was willing to forgive me anyway. He was willing to forgive you anyway. The reason churches split and the reason they're not effective is because Someone says something or somebody does something to us and instead of letting it go and forgive that person, forgiving that person, we harbor it in our hearts and it, and, it, and it turns into bitterness. And then that root of bitterness springs up and it chokes out any opportunity that we have of serving the Lord. It chokes out our chances of being right with God and having that relationship with him that he wants to have with us. Let's get to the point where we're the first to forgive. Make it a race to see who can forgive first, Right? Somebody does something against you or somebody says something to you. Ah, it's not. Well, let's, let's just wait and see if they come and ask for forgiveness. How about, you know what? I'm going to be the first. As soon as I get to church on Sunday, I'm going to go tell that person, you know what? I don't know who was in the wrong, but I forgive you. And if I was in the wrong, please forgive me, right? We have an attitude like that. There wouldn't be any divisions within the church. We have an attitude like that. There wouldn't be any kind of church splits. We had an attitude like that. We would have that Christian spirit of unity, that's a great way to ensure God's blessings in our lives. You can be first. You can be the first to smile. You can be the first to forgive. But number three, turn over to Luke chapter 14. You can be the first to sacrifice. If someone were to ask you if you would be willing to give your life for the cause of Jesus Christ, most Christians would not even hesitate to say, yes, I'll give my life for the cause of Christ, right? If it came down to it and you had to either go free by denying Christ or or, or uh, acknowledging that Jesus Christ is your Savior and they were going to take you and, and, and chop off your head. Would you be willing to die for Christ? You'd say that absolutely I'd be willing to die for Christ. You know, if someone came today and told me I have to deny Christ or be burned at the stake, I'd like to think that I would never deny Christ, right? And I think that everybody in this room would say the exact same thing. I, I would be willing to sacrifice my life for the cause of Jesus Christ. I, I wouldn't doubt that everybody in this room would say that same thing. Yet, most Christians are not even willing to sacrifice a few small things that God asks them to sacrifice to be close to him. Wait a second. You said, oh, was I willing to lay down my life for Christ? I'm willing to lay down my life, but I can't give up these few little things for the cause of Christ. I can't give up these little sins that he asked me to give up in order for me to have that right relationship with him. You're asking something that's way harder than giving my life for the cause of Jesus Christ. Right? Sounds like kind of a contradiction to me. My life I can give, but those things, that's asking too much. I don't even know how we can ever say that we would die for him if we're not willing to live for him. May I remind you what Jesus said about those who want to be followers of Jesus Christ? Luke chapter 14 and verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There's a lot of Christians running around out there saying that they are disciples of Jesus Christ. And they're not a disciple of Jesus Christ because they're not following him. They've not given up all of those things in this life. They're, just, they're hoarding them. They're grabbing at them. They're, they're trying to gather a, as much of those things as they can. And I'm not saying that you have to, you know, prove, I, I'm just going to prove that I hate my father. I'm going to slap him in the face, right? not talking about that, but I'm saying uh, what I think he's saying here is 
in comparison to our love for Jesus Christ and in comparison to our willingness to sacrifice for Jesus Christ, all of our other relationships should look like we hate them compared to that love that we have for Jesus Christ. Right? Everything that we have in this life, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It's not, even a, it's not even possible to be his disciple if we're not willing to sacrifice these things in this life to be what God wants us to be. And there are so many Christians that are holding on to so many things that are keeping them from being what God wants them to be. And you're not a disciple. You might be saved. You might be a Christian. You might be on your way to heaven, but you're not a disciple. You know what a disciple is? A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. And in word, there's a lot of Christians who are disciples. In word, there's a lot of Christians who say they follow Jesus Christ. But in works, they deny him. They're nothing like what a follower, a true follower of Jesus Christ should be. That takes dedication. It takes a surrender of my own will. It takes a willingness to give all for Jesus Christ. It takes putting myself last. It takes surrender. The small hotel along the banks of the Cumberland River outside the northwestern area of Tennessee, it was a town of Dover. Three Confederate generals gathered in a council of war. Their task that morning of February 16th, 1862, was a very grave task. They had to decide the fate of Fort Donelson. Fort Donelson was right there on the Cumberland River. It was a redoubt. They had more than 13,000 Confederate soldiers that were defending that over a four-day-long bloody, cold battle. And a negotiated surrender was not necessarily out of the realm of possibility. But Buckner, who was the Confederate general, and Grant, who was the one that was leading the army against him, uh, who ended up becoming the, the leader of all of the army there for the north, had been close friends before the war. And Buckner actually tremendously helped Ulysses S. Grant when he was really struggling in the 1850s with alcoholism. And Buckner there, was there to, to help him with those struggles and everything else, but he thought maybe that will have something that will have a bearing on how this outcome is going to be. But instead, Buckner received an ultimatum from Grant that was, was really, it, it would humiliate them, it would stun the Confederate Army if he accepted, and that, that condition was no terms except unconditional and immediate surrender can be accepted. And they really didn't have any other option, and so they accepted the terms of that, of that uh, agreement. Unconditional and immediate surrender. We can be the first to surrender our will to God's will. Don't wait for other people around you to do it. Don't wait for other people to get their lives right with God before you start doing it. Hey, if you really want to be right with God, it doesn't matter who sees you. It doesn't matter who else is getting right with God around you. If you are desiring to be right with God, then you just need an unconditional surrender. That's what God's looking for from us. Give it all to him, then he can use us. Sacrifice it all to him, and I'll promise you that you'll not regret it. So many Christians that have been greatly used by God have been willing to sacrifice, and in many cases have sacrificed everything for the cause of Jesus Christ. Do you know why we know their names? It's not because they were out trying to make a name for themselves. It's not because they were out there trying to uh, make people, you know, bow down to them or, or, or think highly of them or get a statue built in their honor or something like that. They were out there doing it because they wanted to please Jesus Christ. And they were willing to surrender, and they did surrender everything for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's why we know their names today. That's why we know who they are. That's why we talk about their lives today. Surrender. Sacrifice for the cause of Jesus Christ. 
You can be the first to smile. You can be the first to forgive. You can be the first to sacrifice. Number four, you can be the first to encourage. A lot of people go through difficult times. Turn over to Proverbs 17. The truth is, you never really know what somebody else is struggling with. A lot of people are very good at hiding it. Things are difficult in their life, and they're just bearing it on their own. They don't want the world to have to deal with their problems, so they, they internalize it, they deal with it. You realize that most people who quit on God quit because of discouragement? Most people that quit on God don't quit because, oh, this thing doesn't work, they, oh, God doesn't love me. They quit because they're discouraged, because something happened, and they didn't have anybody there to help encourage them to continue to serve Jesus Christ. I think if, if everybody came up here and laid their problems at the altar, and you were able to go up and pick up anybody's problems that you want to, the more you look around at everything that you see on the altar, most people would probably come back and pick up their own problems and take them back to their seats. You know, there's a lot of things that people are struggling with that you don't even know they're struggling with. A lot of people that are going through those difficult times, I, I, I can tell you this, everyone needs encouragement. Whether you're going through a particularly difficult time right now or not, everyone needs encouragement. And here's the good news. Everyone can be an encourager. Every one of us can be an encourager. You might be going through a difficult time, but you can encourage somebody else. And you know what? You encouraging somebody else is going to encourage you to keep going for the cause of Jesus Christ, right? That's one of the reasons we come to church. Of course, we have to have our toes stepped on from time to time. Of course, we need to be convicted from time to time. If we, if, if we were never convicted by being at church, then there's no point of being at church. If all that was ever talked about was the love of God, which is an important topic, if all that was ever talked about was the mercy of God, which is an important topic, then we, would get, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be very fruitful and profitable Christians. Our lives wouldn't grow very much. We need preaching that convicts us. We need preaching that steps on our toes. Of course, we'll, we'll hear some things that make us think, I have a long way to go, and that's not very encouraging. But one of the reasons we come to church is to be encouraged to do more for God, to keep going on for Him, to keep serving Him. And that doesn't always come through the message. It very well could come from somebody else in the church who just gave somebody a word of encouragement to keep going for the cause of Jesus Christ. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 17 says this, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. That's what you're there for. You are there for when somebody is going through a difficult time. A brother is born for adversity. A friend loveth at all times. We're in this thing called life together. We need each other. William Arthur Ward is quoted as saying this, Flatter me, and I may not believe you. Criticize me, and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I may not forgive you. Encourage me, and I will never forget you. We all need encouragement. And we all can be encouragers. Be an encourager. Be the reason that somebody just keeps going for God. Don't you want to be the reason somebody keeps serving God? Don't you want to be the reason somebody didn't give up? Don't you want to be the reason that somebody keeps coming back to church until they get over that hump that they're going through in life? Be an encourager. Be an encourager. God will use it. You can be the first to smile. You can be the first to forgive. You can be the first to sacrifice. You can be the first to encourage. Number five, you can be the first to praise. This goes back to what I mentioned before about the world being a really negative place. Turn over to Psalm 7. It's, it's very easy to blame God for what happens in our lives when it doesn't go exactly as we would have planned it to go. God, why did you allow this to happen to me? We ask God why. And I don't think there's anything wrong with asking God why. 
I think sometimes there's just a reason, it's just something wrong with demanding that God give us an answer for that why. But Jesus Christ said, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Right? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus asked why. Nothing wrong with asking why. I think we'll be amazed when we get to heaven to see all the things that could have happened to us had God not prevented them from happening. Oh, we like to, we like to blame God for everything that goes on. Why, why did you let this happen? Why did you do this to me? And we get to heaven and realize, boy, God kept a whole lot of things from happening to us that would have been a whole lot more devastating than what we actually went through in this life. I think we're going to be surprised when we see all those things that God kept from happening. We're so quick to blame God for all the bad things, or at least the things that we perceive as bad. Because remember, the Bible says all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But to, slow to thank God for all the good things that happen. We're, we're so quick to blame him for the bad and slow to thank him for the good. Did any of you walk to church this morning because you didn't have a car? Anybody roll out of a tent because you didn't have a house? Anybody come to church starving because you didn't have any food on the, uh, uh, in the cabinets at, at home this morning? Any of you unhook the IVs and take off the hospital gown and wheel your way into church this morning? No, we have a lot to be thankful for, right? Even, even the people who maybe are on the poorer end of the spectrum, we have a whole lot to be thankful for. I've been in uh, lots of different places in the world, and you look around at what they live like, and the, and the ones who think they're living well live well below what the average person in America lives like. We're very blessed to have those things that we have. The list could go on and on of all the things that God has done for us that we just take for granted. Let's praise him this morning, right? Find something to thank him for and thank him. It's not hard to start making a very long list. Maybe it, it would be a good idea when you get home this afternoon to make a list of all the things that God's, God's done for you in the past month. You'd be surprised when you actually sit down and start looking at all those things, how many things there really are that God's done for you just this month that you could thank him for, just this month that you could praise him for. I know it's not Thanksgiving, but that's okay. You know, we're allowed to thank God on other days besides on Thanksgiving week, right? We can thank God every day, and we should be thanking God every day. Make a list when you start to feel yourself getting down or starting to blame God for your circumstances. Read through that list, and I can promise you, you'll start to think that maybe life is not so bad after all. Look what he says in Psalm 7, verse 17. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Psalm 9, verse 2. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou Most High. Psalm 28. Verse 7, Try to, you can keep up if you can, I'm, I'm not going to do but so many of these, but Psalm 28 and verse number 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield, my heart trusted in him and I am helped, therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth and with my song will I praise him. Psalm 33, verse number 1, Psalm 33, 1, rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. It's beautiful for somebody who is right with God to praise him for what he's done. Psalm 35, verse 28. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. It's not hard to praise him when you see what he's done for you. And you can be the first. You don't have to wait for other people to do it. See, a, a glass that's filled to overflowing overflows when it has more put into it. When it reaches the top, it doesn't have anywhere else to go but over the top, right? Our praise to God should be the same way. Boy, he just fills us up and fills us up and fills us up. And when it hits the top, it just should overflow. And honestly, I believe that's the same way with saying amen in church, right? Uh, I'm not, I, I do it, obviously, a lot more, you know, 
now than I ever used to, but man, when, when you just can't help it anymore, it just wells up and you just have to say amen sometimes, right? It's exciting to serve God and we ought to be praising him for it. Let me give you one more. You can be the first to smile. You can be the first to forgive. You can be the first to sacrifice. You can be the first to encourage. You can be the first to praise. And lastly, you can be the first to do right. See, all around us, the world is getting farther and farther from God. Sadly, even Christians are getting farther and farther from God. You know, it, it used to be that the majority of people saved or not were at least moral people. And now what you're finding is that even those who claim to be Christians are hardly as moral as the people who were unsaved 50 or 60 years ago, right? People, people 50 or 60 years ago who were not even saved would attend church more often than most Christians do today. People who were unsaved 50 or 60 years ago that had morals didn't even participate in a lot of things that Christians participate in today. We're, we're, we've lowered the standards so far. But the Bible refers to that in Isaiah as truth has fallen in the street. That's exactly what's happened. Christians have dropped the ball. Christians have dropped the ball. Why is this world in the condition that it's in? Because the churches are in the condition they're in. Why are the churches in those conditions? Because of the Christians that are in those churches. They're not being led. They're not being fed. That The pastors that are leading those churches are, 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 are nowhere near moral, nowhere near the Christians that God expects us to be to lead a generation of Christians. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will hear their land. Right? We like to blame all the politicians. We like to blame all the, the wickedness that's going on in the world. It's Christians that are the problem. We've dropped the ball. We're no longer living for God. And if we would get right with him, then God would bless this country. If my people would do all these things, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You want to see America come back to God? The churches have to come back to God. And when the churches come back to God, that gets us excited, gets us on fire about going and telling other people about Jesus Christ, and then people will get saved. Revival is not thousands of people getting saved. Revival is the church getting right with God, and then them getting on fire to go tell other people about what Jesus Christ has done for them. Then those people get saved. People getting saved is a result of revival. That's not revival. Revival is something that was alive and has died and needs to be brought back to life. That's the condition of Christianity today. That's the condition of our churches today. That's the condition of a lot of Christians today. And what we need is to have some people who will change that. That's a wonderful thing about what Christianity is. We can change it overnight. We can just be a Christian that does right. right? We can be Christians that are not just concerned with morals, but with pleasing God. Sometimes somebody who wants to get into shape it might take weeks or months before they actually get to the point where they feel better, where they look like they've lost some weight, where they feel like they're getting into better shape. It's a long process. That's not the way that it is with doing right. Sure, it, 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 we, we may have some bad habits of doing wrong things that have to be broken, but all it takes is one decision to get my life right with God. I'm going to let go of those things that are keeping me from being right with God, and I'm just going to start doing right. And that can change overnight. It doesn't have to take a weeks or months or years long process to get back to being a Christian that God wants me to be. I can start being a Christian that God wants me to be tomorrow if I would let God get a hold of my heart. 
I can be the Christian that God needs me to be tomorrow if I would just decide that I'm going to get right with him. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, do right, do right till the stars fall, do right. We don't have to wait for everyone around us to start doing right. That may never happen. We can be the first to do right. You never know what might spark a revival within our church. I believe that we can still see a revival in America. This country is not so far gone that God cannot do something great in this nation again. I believe that that's one of the reasons that God is tarrying his second, the, the second coming of Jesus Christ, because God still wants to do something in our churches again. And when things look the worst, that's when God gets the most glory when, he's, when, when revival happens. If things were, eh, you know, things are going downhill, but, oh, we see a revival. Now, now we can say, well, it was this. We did this, and God, and, and God might have jumped in and helped us out a little bit, but we did this, and that turned our church around. We did this, and that turned the country around, right? But things are bad enough right now that the only way that we're going to see this nation turn back to Christ is if God does something, right? If God opens up the windows of heaven, pours out a blessing, if God does something again in our midst, you never know what might be that sparks a revival within your own family. You never know what it might be that sparks a revival within a church. But I do know this, it's going to take Christians who just decide they're going to do what's right. Who just decide that, you know what, all the stuff that I've been living for is going to count for nothing when I stand before God someday. I'm not saying that you can't have a nice house, you can't drive a nice car, you can't have a good job. I'm not saying that you can't have those things. God blesses in a lot of ways and gives us those things. I'm not saying that you can't have those things. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. And I think sometimes the people who are more on the poor end of the scale fit into that category more than some people who are rich, right? It's because it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of it. I can't, I can't get enough of it. I can't, I can't hoard enough things in my life. And we start to focus so much on that, and we lose the focus on what really matters. You can be a winner just by doing right. Maybe you've heard it, it comes up a lot during the, uh, the men's college basketball tournament every year, March Madness, and we just kind of came through that. But Jim Velvano, Jimmy V is what they called him, but he was, a, um, he was suffering from a terminal spinal cancer at only the age of 47. He'd been a standout uh, basketball star at North Carolina State. He was a, a, a basketball coach there at NC State. And uh, he, was, he was speaking with a reporter not too long before he died. And he looked back on his life, and he told a story about himself from when he was a 23-year-old coach. And he had just a small college team. And one of the players said, why is winning so important to you? He asked that of, of the, the coach. And he said, well, because the final score defines you. He said, you lose, you're a loser. You win, you're a winner. And, and that player, you know, certainly wasn't trying to, to – uh, uh, talk back or anything like that, but he said, you know, I, I think that's wrong. He said, participation is what matters. You, you, trying your best regardless of whether you win or lose, that's what defines you. And of course, they agreed to disagree, but it took more than 24, 24 more years of living. And Jim Velvano was there dying from this terminal cancer at only the age of 47. And he said it took him three or four times of bolting awake in the middle of the night with just everything in his bed soaking wet from sweat and his teeth rattling from fever of, because of the chemotherapy and the radiation and, the, and just the terror of seeing himself die in his dreams over and over and over again. 
took all that for him to say this to that reporter that day. He said, those kids were right. It's, not effort, or it's effort, not result. It's trying. What a great human being I could have been if I had this awareness back then. Just trying to do your best for God. Just trying to live for him. And he was saying it in a completely physical standpoint. But turn over to Philippians chapter 3. I want to look at this verse as we close. He was looking at it strictly from a basketball perspective. But you know, we're never going to be, we're never going to win 100% of the time. Right? We're going to lose the battle to temptation every now and then. We're going to fail. We're going to fall because we're imperfect humans. Right? We'll never reach that sinless perfection until we get to heaven. But we ought to be trying to. Well, I'm just, you know what? I'm not going to be perfect. I fell again, and oh well. You know what? I'm a human, just like you are. It doesn't have to be that way. Right? We use that as an excuse often. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sins live any longer therein? We've been saved from those things. We ought to be doing everything we can to stay away from it. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the way Paul looked at it. He said, I'm not there yet. I, I'm not, I, 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 don't, I don't count myself to have apprehended. I've not reached that goal yet, but I'm still trying. I'm still pressing toward the mark. I'm aiming and I'm going in the direction that I need to be going in for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The amazing thing about this is that even if you aren't the first one to do it, you're a winner if you do it, right? When I say that everyone's a winner, hey, we can all smile. We can all be an encourager. We can all please God. We can all get our hearts right. We can all uh, sacrifice for the cause of Jesus Christ. You're a winner if you help and encourage. You don't have to be the first one to do it. Sure helps if you are, but you don't have to be the first one to do it to be a winner. Right? You don't have to be the first one to sacrifice for the cause of Jesus Christ to be a winner. You don't have to be the first one to smile to be a winner. You don't have to be the first one to encourage to be a winner. You just have to do it. And so, you know, we're talking about every... Everybody getting a participation trophy and all of those kind of things. I'm, I, in this case, it works, right? You participate, you win. Because all of these things are things that God tells us to do. We looked at a lot of verses this morning. All of these things are things that God tells us that we need to do to participate. And everyone's a winner if you participate in those things. One of these days, you're going to stand before God. One of these days, he's going to look back on our lives. And I hope, like he says in Matthew chapter 25, that he can look at me and say, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. But you know what? A lot of people, a lot of Christians, live the same way that the unsaved live. And, and you ask somebody that's not saved, that doesn't know for sure if they're going to heaven, and many times you say, Do you, are you for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? And they say, well, I hope so. Maybe. I'm trying. Right? And you ask a Christian, is God going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? And they say, well, I hope so. Maybe. I'm trying, right? But then they live their life every single day in a way that there's no way that God could say that, right? Can I get to the end of today and have God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? And can I get to the end of tomorrow and have him say, you know what? Monday, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Tuesday, 
Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Wednesday. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We live every day of our life and people are, well, you know what? I did this and this and this today. God probably couldn't say well done. And I did this and this and this on Tuesday. I don't know if God could say well done. And then we expect that we're going to get to the end of our lives and God's going to say, well done, our good and faithful servant. We have to be living every day of our lives in a way that at the end of that day, God can say, well done, our good and faithful servant. Hey, you can be a winner. You can be a winner. Everyone can be a winner. This is something that we can all win at together. Not one person that rises to the top and stands on the podium and, hey, you get the prize. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I want him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we can have him say that to every single one of us here this morning if we will just live in a way that's pleasing to him. Don't you want to be a winner? Hey, I want him to be pleased. I want him to be happy. I want to hear that well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm going to live today to make sure that I can hear him say that when I lay my head down on the pillow tonight. I'm going to do my best to hear him say it tomorrow and the next day and the next day and so that one day when I stand before him, it's not going to be hard for him to, all right, well done, now good and faithful servant. I want him to be able to say it. I hope you do too. Father, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your son, sending your son to die on the cross so that we can have salvation. I do pray that if there is somebody in this room that still has not accepted you, whether they've been here for five minutes or five months or five years or claim to be a Christian for 50 years, I pray that every single one of us in this room would know for sure that we're on our way to heaven. And if there is somebody that doesn't, God, I pray that you'd help them to get that settled today. But God, I know the majority of people in this room claim to be Christians. I pray that you'd help us to live in a way that proves that we are disciples of Jesus Christ, proves that we are followers of Jesus Christ, proves that we are willing to lay aside anything that needs to be laid aside for the cause of Jesus Christ to move forward in our own lives and in this church and in this community and in this country. I pray that you'd send a revival and I pray that it would start right here. Pray that it would start with us. Pray that our hearts would be right with you so that you might be able to bless this nation again. God, I pray that if anything needs to be taken care of between us and the Lord this morning, I pray that there'd be nothing between my soul and the Savior so that his blessed face may be seen. God, I pray that that would be the testimony of every single person in here this morning. And if something needs to change, I pray that we'd have the boldness and the courage to change it. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're